0: flyweight champion of the world
1: this is fast eddie chambers and you're listening to the box hard podcast with my main man joey coastman
2: hello everybody and welcome to episode 309 of the box hard podcast i'm your host joey coastman i'm joined as ever by the main man himself mr fast eddie chambers eddie how you doing man i'm good my man how about you Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start here on Friday, last Friday, September tenth, at the Warvesi Stadium in Klagenfur, Austria. Over here, this one was on the zone promoted by Eddie Hearn. Uh, top in the bill, Philip Hergovic, the heavyweight, now thirteen and zero. He was able to beat Marco Radonjic, who had a perfect record, twenty two and zero with twenty two KOs. I think. 19 of those fights, though, were against debutants or heavyweight journeymen, so very padded. Um, He was down four times in in round two and once in round three, and he retired at the end of round three. That one was for the IBF international heavyweight title, completely exposed there, Uh, quite a tough guy. But yeah, Filip Hergovic had too much for him, 13-0. On the undercard, Dalton Smith, now 9-0. Um, he was able to pick up a 10-round unanimous decision victory against Brian Peléez, who is now 10-6. and uh, Very wide in the end. I expected Dalton Smith to get Peléez out of there, to be honest with you, but... Yeah, kind of, uh, I guess, a good thing to get those those 10 important rounds in. What a prospect Dalton Smith is. Um, elsewhere on the undercard, I didn't actually know he was fighting until the last minute. John Ryder, he picked up win number 30. He's got five losses. It was a TKO in round five against Joseph Jurko, who's now... Um, eight and three. We've also got on the undercard Abbas Baral now ten and one. He was able to beat in one round Jay Spencer, who's now eleven and two. Abbas Baral nine and one. Either I am having uh memory problems, which I have most of the time. I can't remember him losing his O. I just want to go back and see who he lost it to. Um. He lost his O in, in, the, in, in the last fight against Jack Corky. Okay, that doesn't really ring a bell, but okay. Um, right, moving out now to the Stade Roland Garros in Paris, France. Over here, this one was on ESPN+. Um, Igor McCorkin, the Russian who was set to take uh, a fight against Callum Johnson. It never ended up happening. He'd been in there with... Uh, Sergei Kovalev, I think he beat him Baturbiev a couple of times in the amateurs. All-round good fighter, very very tough Russian, and he got in there with Matyao um, who was a French fighter I'd never heard of, but Baudelaire was able to pull off the you know the upset in my eyes, but I don't think with the bookies, uh, Mikulkin now twenty four and three. It was for the vacant EBU European Light Heavyweight title. Baudelaire now twenty one and one. Mikulkin retired on his store at the end of round 7. Very surprised to see that outcome. On the undercard, Tony Yoka now 11-0. A TKO in round 7 against Peter Mylas, who's now 15-1. Mylas, you know, he had that fight against Kevin Johnson. he became become one of the first people to, well, one of the only people around that time to stop Kevin Johnson. So, I thought he had something special about him. I didn't see the fight, but I expected Tony Yoka to pull it out. But the, the, the stoppage win is quite impressive, I guess. Uh, Solomon, Soko now 14 0. A retirement win for him after round 4 when Ismail Aliyev retired. Uh, in in the corner, his record now 13 and three with a draw. Iliev. It was for the WBA Intercontinental Super Welterweight title. Um, m- moving out now to the Sky Dome in Coventry, West Midlands, United Kingdom. What an unbelievable fight! The main event was Sam Eginton. Now 31 and seven, close fight, a split decision win for Eginton over 12 rounds against the unbeaten Frenchman Bilal Jakitu, who is now. Um, 15 and 1. Eggington was cut as well. Quite bad on his right eye. It was for the WBC Super... uh, Sorry, not Super. Silver middleweight title. Um, Sam Eggington hasn't looked too bad since he's moved up to 160. Some people saying he's the most improved fighter in in the UK. I think it was Peter Fury who said that. I I, I definitely can't get on board with that one. I don't often disagree with Peter Fury, but I've got to say, no way. Um, You know, it's got to be Maxi Hughes without question, surely. But... Yeah, Sam Meginton since moving up has looked pretty good. He beat Carlos Molina last time. He's beaten this unbeaten French guy who we didn't know anything about but quite clearly had a lot of, you know, a lot of skills, did very well early on in the fight, but Sam Meginton did what he does and it's break his man down and break his heart and put the pressure on for all of the rounds and ultimately wear you down and that is what you did and i felt that he deserved to win the fight uh, but yeah it was very very close it was on channel five very very good to see that one there um on the undercarb we had casey benjamin with a knockout winning three rounds against Jarko Putkonen. Um, we had River Wilson-Bent move to 10-0, and 0, a points win, a complete shutout against Gabor Gorbix, who's now 26-21 and 21 with two draws. Shakam Pitters, the former British champion, was able to beat um, completely again by a shutout over eight rounds. Farouk Daku, who's now 21-19 and 19 with a draw. Daku was down in the seventh round. Isaac Chamberlain with a first-round um, a first round retirement win against 2 and 6 with three draws, Ben Thomas. Just seems like Isaac Chamberlain has is just. I don't know if it's down to him. I don't think it probably is down to him, but it seems like years of his career is being wasted. I mean, he still only had. This is his full team fight here. Um, he was down in the first round late on Ben Thomas, and I just can't understand why Isaac Chamberlain is fighting a guy who's two and six with three draws. He's he's, he's got bundles of talent, Isaac Chamberlain. It just seems like I don't know what it is, man. I remember favouring him massively to beat Lawrence soccoli Lawrence soccoli you know. Beat him that night fair and square. He put on a brilliant performance at the O2 Arena. Went on to win a world title. He's an unbeaten world champion. And that loss now has aged unbelievably for Chamberlain. It doesn't look bad at all. Chamberlain, though, just hasn't got going since then. And it's another losing record on his slate. I cannot understand what's going on there. Um, elsewhere on the card, Mick Hennessy Jr. now seven and one with a draw, a KO in the first round against Maxims Dobrovskis, who's now three and ten. Uh, Stephen Mckenna now nine and oh, a points win over six against Musa Gary, the uh, very stubborn Musa Gary. Uh, he had some skills as well, to be honest. To shut out the shutout over six rounds for. Stephen McKenna, um, his brother Aaron McKenna moved to 12-0 on the undercard as well. He also picked up a six-round points win. He had his man down twice in the sixth and final round, and his man was Evika Gogosovic, who's now 12-37 with two draws, the son of uh, former heavyweight contender Scott Welch, his son Tommy Welch on the undercard as well. A shutout win on points for him over four against Alvaro Torero. Tommy Welch now 5-0. and oh. Moving out now to the Casino del Sol in Tucson, Arizona, USA. All these fights, by the way, have took place uh, on Friday that I've mentioned so far. Um, not much on the undercard, but I want to give a special shout out to Luis Alberto Lopez, twenty-three and two. Now he took on Gabriel Flores Jr., who was an unbeaten prospect, twenty and zero. Uh, things got a little bit tasty at the weigh-in; they got in each other's faces. Uh, Gabriel Flores did like the gun fingers in in Lopez's face, and. I don't want to say he got exposed, but Lopez boxed brilliantly. He hurt Flores numerous times, and he ended up pitching a complete shutout. So, very pleased for Luis Lopez, who I think was the underdog going in, um, you know, a bit more battle-tested, I think, than Gabriel Flores. But yeah, Gabriel Flores, it's a, it, you know, to lose like that completely by a shutout, didn't seem to to, to to have any answers for Lopez. He seemed like he ran out of ideas, seemed like he was pretty one-dimensional to be honest with you. Uh, A lot of running, he just didn't know what to do, but, you know, he he did go the distance. I don't know if there's a moral victory in there, but it was kind of demoralizing at the same time, so I don't know where the the needle falls there, but... Yeah, I um, wanted to just give a special shout-out there to Luis Lopez. Uh, elsewhere on the card, Junto Nakatani, now 22-0, a TKO in round four against Angel Acosta, who's now 22-3. and That one was for Nakatani's WBO flyweight world title. Elsewhere on the card, the main event, Oscar Valdez, now 30-0, a unanimous decision... That raises some eyebrows straight away. Over 12 rounds against Robson Conceição, who's now 16-1, and 1, the Brazilian fighter. Conceição had a point deducted for hitting Valdez behind the head in one of the rounds. A defense there of Valdez's WBC World Super Featherweight title. Um, Very, very close fight. I think, though, I think the Brazilian did enough, to be honest with you. I like Valdez, you know... A lot of question marks, obviously, with the foul drug test in the build-up to the fight. It didn't seem like, if he was on peds, they made his performance any better. I felt like uh, it was, you know, not a very good version of Valdez. Certainly not the same version that took on Miguel Burchell back in February. Um, But yeah, Conceição, he's he's a box of tricks, really. Um, He was, you know he had a lot to his game I've never actually seen him before as a pro until the other night and I've got to say he you know he he was a really good fighter and you could see that amateur pedigree that that he's got you know his understanding of moving around the ring I think they had a fight um Years ago in the amateurs, I believe Conceição won that one. But yeah, he definitely had an argument to win here as well. He wasn't happy about the decision. There was a one seventeen one ten scorecard, which everyone was criticising. Um, but yeah, I think the Brazilian did enough to to nick it. But um, it was very close. I wasn't actually scoring it round by round, so I hope I haven't upset anyone with what I'm saying there. But that that seemed like um, the general consensus was that Conceição nicked it, but some people disagreed, so I guess it was a close one, could have gone either way, Um but yeah, he didn't look very good, Valdez, I don't think, and I think a lot of people, after he knocked out Burchell, a lot of people were, were probably worried about him, you know, the, the top fighters in the division, if it was me, one of those guys, I'd be going, oh, I, I'm not sure I want to fight Valdez, but after the other night, I'd now be licking my lips, so very uh, strange to see two completely... Opposite performances from Valdez and this is the time where he apparently, apparently I say, had something in his system that he shouldn't have had. Uh, moving out now to the RCC Boxing Academy in Russia. Over here we had Zor Abdalaev, the former opponent of Devin Haney and Hank Lundy. He's now 14-1. and a win unanimously over 12 rounds against former world champion Dejan Zlatichinin, who's now 24-3 um you know, obviously former lightweight world champion. I think he was WBC lightweight world champion. This one was for the WBC vacant silver lightweight title, but Zorab Abdalayev with quite a step up in class really, Picked up the, the, the win. I didn't see the fight, but it, it seems wide on the cards. So that that looks good. That, that I think, bodes well for Abdelayev, who a lot of people weren't sure how good he was, actually, after losing pretty much every round to Devin Haney. Um, elsewhere on the undercard, Evgeny Tyshenko, the Olympic gold medalist in the heavyweight division from 2016. Um, he, uh, you know, bounced back from his from his loss to to Tobisa Machunu here. He got in with one of the most devastating punches at cruiserweight, Dmitry Kudryashov, who I think had only gone the distance in two of his 28 fights. Well, Kudryashov was down himself in the first round, but he did get back up, and I had money on this fight to not go the distance, because both guys are knockout artists. And like I say, I think in their combined 37 fights, I believe, they've had... um, is that right? I think it's yeah, I think it's 37 fights they've had combined. I think only three of them have gone the distance and yeah, Kudryashov down in the first round. So I'm thinking yeah, there's no way this is going the distance, but it did just goes to show you know, boxing is so unpredictable. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds for Evgeny Tyshenko, now 9 and 1, Kudryashov now 24 and 5. It was for the vacant WBC International Cruiserweight title. Um, elsewhere on the undercard, that guy I told people to keep an eye on, Mohamed Kuju, uh, Mohamed Kuja, sorry. Yakubov is now 18 and 0. He made his opponent Christian Palmer, who was quite experienced, retire after four rounds in the corner. He was down in the fourth round. It was for the WBC International Super Featherweight Title. Christian Palmer now 31 and 11 with two draws. Um, moving out now to the Pabellon de la Val de Hebron in Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain. This one again promoted by Eddie Hearn. He promoted. Um, a show on Friday night in Austria and in Saturday night or on Saturday night in Spain. Uh, on the undercard over here we have Kiko Martinez former world champion moved to 42 wins, 10 losses and two draws a unanimous decision over 8 rounds against Jiro Duran who was heavily overmatched um he's now 14 and 10 we had mary romero the spanish girl who had a record of 6 and 2 she was the underdog g- against britain's very own amy timlin undefeated 4 and 0 with a draw however mary romero pretty much won every round and then they pulled amy timlin out in the corner after eight 2 minute rounds it was for the ebu european female super bantamweight title timlin with a big setback there um she's got a lot of fans and followers and stuff like that, but that's that's quite a major setback there. I expected her to beat a girl who was six and two. However, I hadn't really looked deep into those uh, records there um elsewhere on that card, let's talk about the main event a brilliant brilliant fight I mean Sam Eginton's fight was fight a year contender. Stuff. This fight here, not so sure it was fight of the year contender stuff, but certainly, certainly up there, very close. Kerman Leharaga now thirty-three and two, a technical decision win after ten rounds against the previously undefeated Dylan Sharat, who's now twenty and one with a draw. Um, Very close again on the cards. It was called a halt in round ten. Leharaga had an injured right eye after an accidental head clash. It was a really good fight. Um, Charat again, was a Frenchman who I'd never seen before. Just like um, Sam Eggington's opponent, Bilal um, Jekitu. Uh, an unbeaten Frenchman. Never heard of him. Never seen him fight or anything like that. But clearly had a lot of skills. And Charat was a really good mover. Didn't seem like he had the power to deter Leharaga from coming forward. And I was watching the fight. And I gave the first couple rounds, I think, to Charat. And then, I think round three or round four was a little bit of a turning point for Leharaga, and Sherat seemed to be feeling the pace as early as that third or fourth round. And slowly but surely, Leharaga got back into the fight, turned it into his type of fight. He kept investing in the body so the Frenchman would run out of steam and couldn't carry on all that, you know, that lovely looking moving around the ring at times. And slowly but surely, it turned into Leharaga's fight. And when the pair were trading in a phone booth right up close next to each other, in front of each other, then Leharaga was getting the better of all of it. And like I said, it was very, very, very close. And Leharaga seemed quite confident when they went to the scorecards. And he did end up getting it. 96-94 on two. And 95-95 on the third scorecard. So very, very, very close. And everyone is calling for a rematch. Um, I certainly want to see one. But yeah, Leharaga, you know, never in a bad fight. Neither is Sam Eginton. I'm not sure if there can be a fight made there at some kind of weight. Maybe at 154, but what a fight that would be. Um, moving out now to the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, USA. This one is the final card to mention. It was on Fight TV. It was on Triller Uh, We had Andy Vences uh, lose a majority decision over 10 rounds against Ireland's John O'Carroll, friend of the show. John O'Carroll now 20-2 with a draw. Andy Vences now 23-3 with a draw. Um, One card from Fernando Barbosa, 95-95. The other two cards, I believe, were 97-93 for John O'Carroll. I think he did ...enough to win, uh, says thought he did enough to win, but I, I certainly felt John O'Carroll did enough to win, and I'm really pleased for him, because he's had some struggles outside of the ring recently, I, I, I saw something about his wife, uh, was pregnant with twins, and then I think lost one of the twins during the pregnancy, and had to deliver, uh, you know, one perfectly fine twin, and obviously the other twin, you know, didn't arrive safely, so, that's terrible, that's, that's awful, and he's come back, and he, you know, as I think the fight might have even got moved. I think it was postponed. This fight, I think it was the second time it was supposed to happen. But he's come back. Um, you know, he's had to leave the family home, start start training, get in shape, and put on a performance like that. And to be honest with you, it was it was very close on the money that fight when I looked at the odds and stuff was like right in the balance. They they were unsure who the favourite was. It was a real fifty fifty fight. And it really was. And I'm pleased for John O'Carroll, who is now wanting a world title fight next. I wouldn't mind seeing the rematch with him and Maxie Hughes, but if I was Maxie Hughes, just keep looking forward, my friend, because you have done more than anyone else to deserve a world title shot in Britain I think that's fair to say Um, but yeah really really pleased for John O'Carroll and you know he had a great time you had you had 50 cent ringside with, with champagne in his hand um, you know, I think the, the crowd took to John O'Carroll, and of course all the celebs in attendance, he took a few photos, it looked really cool. Um, on me card as well, we saw, I'm going to just run through these really quick, um, Evander Holyfield obviously lost by knockout in one round, I'm going to come to you in a moment for that, Eddie. Um, um, we had David Hay go to distance over eight two-minute rounds against his uh, multi-millionaire slash billionaire, um, depends what article you read. Friend and nightclub owner, Joe Fournier. Joe Fournier, guy in the distance there. That's something that I called, and I made some money on that one. Um, what else did we have on that undercard? I think we also had Tito Ortiz against Anderson Silva. Tito Ortiz just went straight out on the attack. Um, you know, he was swarming Anderson Silva, who I think was just clowning around and, you know... The shots weren't really landing with much power or anything. And Ortiz, I think, thought he had him hurt. He's he's, he's all on top of him, throwing everything, looked quite slow. And then all of a sudden, um, Anderson Silva times him with... I can't remember if it was a right hand or a left hand, but he timed him with a peach of a shot and knocked him out. It was, you know, it was brutal, actually. One punch, goodbye, and he fell on his face. And um, I don't want to see Tito Ortiz in a ring or an octagon ever again. But, yeah... Um, I'm not gonna really go into the Anderson Silver T stuff. Not really interested. Um, we had Evander Holyfield. I'm gonna come to you on that, Eddie. And I don't think you you heard much of it, but I've got to say it. Donald Trump on the commentary was so much better than I thought he'd be. I mean, he is you know he is comedy gold. I've always said that he's hilarious. Um, but you know he was coming out with some really good stuff. Like he actually knew his stuff for sure and um, it was kind of cool, he, he he invited Jorge Masvidal on the top table with him, and yeah, I've got to say, I mean, people were turning off 50 Cent's commentary to go and listen to Donald Trump, because 50 Cent was barely saying anything, and Donald Trump, you know, the crowd was saying, we love Trump, we love Trump, he stood up, he, you know, they did a 9-11, 10-bell salute, he stood up and you know, he was brilliant, Donald Trump. And I've, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I kind of can't wait for him to come back and commentate again on another crazy circus of a card put on by Triller. But talk to me about the fight, Eddie. Evander Holyfield, Vita Belfort. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know where to start or finish, but I'm sure it's going to be brief. It was, it was terrible.
1: Yeah, it was... It just, you know, shows that even great fighters <laughs> have to get old. Nobody beats father time. No one eventually he catches up to everybody, even Bernard Hopkins, even some of these other guys who've been going so well for so late. And, you know, for somebody being out of the ring for what, 11 years or whatever it was, he was out of the ring to, to, you know, want to get back in. And I, I get it. You know, you want to get in, you want to have a, uh, another go it. You want to, you know, kind of remember your glory years and what you did when you were coming up and things like that and that's awesome. But this is when you need somebody around you telling you the truth. You know what I mean? Like you you're in the gym, you're sparring, you're you're working. There's guys around him that knew, man, he shouldn't be fighting. You know what I mean? Regardless of whether who what of who he was fighting and whether they were good or or any of that, it's just like he should not be swapping punches with anybody in the ring at this age. And it's not just about his age as much as about the wear and tear on his body and the amount of, you know, time he spent as a fighter and the amount of wars he had. You know what I'm saying? This is one of the top guys ever in the heavyweight division. And and, and at the time he was fighting, man, there was several other Hall of Famers around and he fought with him, big, strong, tough guy. And Holyfield's not that big of a guy. He's not much bigger than I am. So you got to, you got to think, man, there's people around him that know better. You know, they knew better. They knew that he shouldn't have got in there. But, you know, maybe he wanted, you know, like he just want, he just wanted the spotlight again. Maybe you want a couple extra little dollars. You know what I mean? Maybe you want something else to talk about. But then now look at what's happening. Now they're talking about how, you know, how oh, he's old. He got knocked out by somebody who's not really a boxer. And all this, all this, is, all this is doing is tarnishing some of his great past uh, uh, accomplishments. It's the same thing with Roy Jones. When I looked at Roy Jones, when he was trying to fight all these guys and he just kept fighting and kept getting knocked out, it just it makes you forget how great of a fighter they were in the past. And it's like, look, let it go. If you want to go to the gym and spar and work out and all of that, that's fine. But doing it in front of thousands of people and then putting your life on the line by getting there with these little gloves on? No. No. No i just don't think it's a good idea i'm one of the biggest evander holyfield fans and i just i didn't want to watch it not saying that i didn't think he would win i didn't know because i didn't know how you know how much of him was left but it's just sad to see him go out like
2: that yeah no and i i completely agree um yeah you know and they're they're talk- i didn't like it but you know, straight afterwards, Evander Holyfield was was angry at the stoppage. I think he had a point, to be honest with you, in that one. But, you know, I don't want to see him again. Um, And 50 Cent thought it was a good idea to put his arm around Evander and say, hey, you know, why don't you fight Mike Tyson in, in an exhibition? And, of course, Holyfield's like, yeah. You know, and they even mentioned about him fighting... David, hey, I mean, no, please, please, someone, you know, as you said, Eddie, has to look out for this guy's health and safety. You know, he is a legend. He's got nothing else to prove at all. Um, and I've got to say, Donald Trump made a great uh, a great case, you know, saying that Holyfield is one of the best heavyweights of all time and all the rest of it. He doesn't need to do this. And th- he said, that wasn't a vendor in there. That was not a vendor. But that's not my best Trump impression. So that's just on the spot. Um, anyway. <laughs>
1: Again, (laughs) no. All right. I had to laugh before.
2: It's all good. It's all good. But anyway, that is it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap this up, it's now time to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA interim super middleweight world champion. It is, of course, the Islington icon, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure having you on, John. It really is. I like to ask where you are because you're always seemingly in different places. Where are you at the minute? You're at home probably. <laughs> I'm,
0: um, I'm just around the mother-in-law's there waiting to do a school run. So, uh, yeah, nothing nothing exciting. I've been painting yeah. wardrobes this morning. So, um, yeah, back, back, back down to earth.
2: Yeah, such a, such a normal guy, man. Um, so, John, we last, we last caught up in December. Um, it was fight week for when you fought on the Golovkin undercard against Mike Guy. Uh, obviously, you boxed the other night as well. But how had things been up until that fight the other night? Because, you know, you were coming off nine months out. I'm guessing another fight must have fell through or something in that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was out to Dallas in uh, May for the Saunders-Canelo fight and just to t- publicise myself, and I was training for the Dave Morrell fight, which ended up falling through after I returned from Dallas. Um, so that was a real, real kick in the teeth. I was training hard for that, and camp was flying. So then be have a bit of time off and just, just slow things down again, and then eventually get out in September. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a real slow year, but I'm hoping now that I've got, got this fight out of my way, got five rounds under my belt, hopefully I can get out again before Christmas in a, in a big fight, and then it's not been too bad of a year, really, in the, in the kind of the year I potentially could have had three fights, so I mean, in current times, that's, uh, it's not bad going.
2: No, for sure. And, you know, you just boxed on the weekend against Joseph Jerko, which was on that Hergovic uh, Radonjic undercard in Austria. Bit of a random one. Um, you did get the stoppage in round five. Tell me about that fight and uh, your performance, John. You
0: know what, I was just, um, i, I I'd had, I'd had COVID and just getting back into the gym and Tony said about the potential of a, of a, of a tick-over fight and what you were saying about the Leeds card and I thought, felt like that was a bit too soon. Um, it come a week later, but um, that, yeah, it's a perfect time. really. I'd, I'd had like a six-week camp coming back off of COVID. So um, yeah, I think it worked well. I wasn't at my sharpest and, and didn't expect to put in a, a career best, but you know well, it's, it's one of those things. If you've got twelve weeks to get ready, it will take you twelve weeks. If you know you've only got six weeks to get ready, you, you can do it. So it's um, it's nice to dust off the cobwebs, get get the fight out of the way, um, scheduled eight rounder, but um, get get some rounds in and, and get a stoppage ultimately.
2: And three of your last four fights have been overseas, John. Do you enjoy uh, or prefer perhaps boxing abroad?
0: Um, well, obviously, especially with current times, there's, there's not been many crowds anyway, so it's not made too much of a difference, but I mean, I do like to have some support there, and it, it is nice to have a, a home crowd, but I mean, I've been lucky, you know, I've boxed in Vegas, and um, I've got a lot of friends and family out there for that fight, which was nice, Um Miami was behind closed doors, which wasn't great, but I mean, Austria was nice, there was a bit of crowd back in, Um a lot of people from Croatia obviously there for Hergivich, but yeah, I mean it was nice, nice to hear fans in the background, and, and yeah, it spurred on that bit more.
2: And obviously, John, you'd been linked um, with David Lemieux for a long, long time. Has that fight seemingly fizzled out now?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean it's all gone quiet with that one. Um, I've not really heard much on that. Um, the the ones of late was Dave Morrell for the Dobie Regular Super Light title, and then lately has been talk about moving up to one seventy five and fighting Bivol for for the super title. So. I mean, I'm open to both. I think, I don't know what's happening with the fight, it's going very quiet and there's a bit of to and froing. but I mean, I, I don't want to be messed around anymore. I want to, I want to get in there and get, get fighting, so whatever offer comes through and what, what's best to suit me.
2: I was going to mention, because you, you speak about a potential move to 175 for Bivol, I know. A, I was going to say, I know a rematch with Callum Smith was something you wanted after controversially losing to him. Um, now he's decided to move up to 175. I thought that you kind of perhaps had to mentally let that one go. I didn't think you'd consider a move to 175.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to go where the fights are. And I think currently, at the moment, Canelo's got everything wrapped up at 168 and... I mean, obviously, if he beats plants a bit a big fight, whoever wins that's going to have everything wrapped up. And I mean, there's going to be no real title fights at 168 for a while till they get rid of the mandatories and whatnot. So it's going to be going to be tied up for a while. So I would, I'm just I'm in a good position where I can stay at 168. I can have a go at 165 and just go where the big fights take me.
2: And obviously, we haven't spoken since your gym mate, Craig Richards boxed Dimitri Bivol. You mentioned Bivol there. Um, if nothing else, Craig showed us that Bivol is certainly uh, beatable. I don't think we'd seen that in many of his prior fights. What did you make of Craig's performance and, you know, I guess that Bivol fight now appeals to you massively? Um,
0: to be fair, I feel like it was Craig's fight to lose. I, think, um, I don't think so much Bivol won the fight. I just think Craig didn't do enough early on. He's I think he let the first six rounds slip away from him and when he did put his foot on the gas, he had Bibble in all kinds of trouble, but um, listen, there's a lot of inactivity. Craig's been quite active over the last year. He had the British title fight in uh, December as well and so he's gone into that Bibble fight uh, fresh and and, and in a a good position, whereas Bibble's been that bit inactive, but listen, it's, it's kind of Craig's fight to lose and I mean, it was close in the end, but Craig didn't do much for the first six rounds, and it, um, I think he threw a bit too much caution to the wind, and I think he knows now that he can let his hands go a bit more early on and, and could have could have won it.
2: And I want to ask, John, obviously, you know, you're just fresh off your fight. I doubt you've had an extensive conversation with the team, with Matram and the rest of it, um, but you've mentioned, obviously, Morel. You've mentioned uh, Dimitri Bivol. Is there you know are you leaning either way can you tell us anything about the chances of those two fights happening in terms of like 50 50 or 60 40
0: uh i'm I'm open to whatever deal is best suited to me uh financially and 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 on terms um so i'll leave it down to tony and charlie and eddie just to talk things through mull things over and they'll, they'll come to me with what's best for me i'm sure
2: and I want to get your take on this one. Only, what's it about nine days to go now? Yeah, nine days to go. AJ Usyk, are you going to be there? And who wins? I'm not. Pla- I don't think I'm going to be there. But My missus actually booked tickets to Dermot
0: Kennedy, so um, I think I'll be not too far away from from Whiteout Lane. But um, I'll be up up the top of Alexandra Palace. <laughs> um, boogie on non down to so a bit of Dermot Kennedy, but I'll I'll be watching as soon as I'm home for sure
2: how do you see it unfolding, John?
0: You know what? It's, it's a tough one. I mean, we, we know Usyk's got the skills, is like unbeatable at, at cruiserweight. Um, but AJ's got that power. Uh, he's um, like, listen, he's got his own. He's got a great boxing skill himself. I know everyone looks into the Ruiz fight. I don't know if Usyk's got the power to hurt AJ like Ruiz did. He definitely got the skills to to beat AJ, but I think AJ will beat him down the strength. Maybe a It'd be hard for Rader to catch him clean, but I think with the power punches and, and whatnot, they could really take their time on sick. Um, and that's not me going against this. I'm a huge sick fan, but I don't think he's cut it in the performances so much at heavyweight yet. He's um, he lacked
2: a bit of power um, and he, he just hasn't got the finishing that he had at, at cruiserweight. Yeah, I think that's fair, to be honest. I think it's going to be quite cagey. I definitely see the fight going into the second half. That's that's just my my pick. Um, just before we wrap it up, John, if you've got any closing words, like I say, haven't spoke or had you on the show for nine months, if there's anything you want to say to the listeners that I perhaps haven't asked you or anything like that, say whatever you like before we sign out.
0: No, thanks for having me. Um, thanks for supporting. Um, I hope to have some big news for you all soon. Um trust
2: the process like I am, and, uh, yeah, big things to come. There we go. Listen, John, it's always great catching up with you, my friend. Congrats once again on the win, and we'll speak again soon, I'm sure.
0: Brilliant, John. Thanks for having me, mate.
2: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, usually the news, but we've got absolutely nothing to bring you at the moment. If anything develops from now to the end of the show, I will speak about it on the outro. Let's move then to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here with a card that takes place later tonight at the Quiet Cannon Country Club in California. The Quiet Cannon Country Club. You've got to to be quiet in there. Uh, I believe but you've got on the on the on the main event um Sir guy Bohachuk that's the guy who of course managed to get to 18 and 0 with 18 KOs until he took on Brandon Adams and got knocked out himself in round 8 uh, I believe that one was in Puerto Rico yes it was on a Miguel Cotto show um, anyway, he bounced back with a first-round knockout last time against Brandon Bow, who had a losing record. Here he gets in with Raphael Igbokwi, who is uh, a, a Southpaw, five foot ten, twenty-eight years of age, um, from Houston, Texas, actually. Um, okay, I want to say that he might have been a guy who I think was it. A, is it the same guy? yeah he's been he's been um sparring with with Regis Progray, actually this guy here okay interesting stuff anyway he gets in with Sergei Bohochuk we shall see what happens there that's over ten rounds uh Bohachuk, still never been the distance in twenty fights so it's always entertaining seeing him fight um elsewhere we have um in York hall Bethnal Green London. Friend of the show, he was on a few years ago now, but he retired and he's coming off. Um, he's coming out of about three years retirement to to take on here um, a fight over ten rounds. He's straight back in a ten rounder. We, we're talking about, of course, Ben Jones, twenty two and seven with a draw, takes on Connor Marsden. It's for the vacant British, or not vacant British, vacant Southern Area lightweight title. Ben Jones, I think, has moved up in weight there. Um, Moving out now to the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Over here, we've got Jesse Hart. Um, still, in my opinion, one of the best fighters from Philly at the moment. I mean, Philly is just has just been pumping out brilliant fighters for years. I mean, all the time. Like You can look back and say, uh, you know, tell me one of the best fighters from Philly and loads and loads of names jump out at you, you know, just off the top of my head like a... Uh, um, you know, like a Bernard or 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 a, or a um, Joe Fraser, off the top of my head, many other guys, of course. But all the time, like there's never a moment where I don't think there's ever been. You know, a a time in recent history, at least, where there hasn't been at least one world-class fighter from Philly. Like, it's just crazy. It's not a huge place, but the, the amount of boxing talent is just wild that comes out of that place. And, yeah, for me, Jesse Hart, you know, hasn't won a world title yet, but... Oh, I hope he wins one, man. He's he's right up there. I don't want him to be a nearly man because he has been nearly there a couple of times. Um, he's now 26-3 and in an eight-rounder against Mike Guy, who has got a huge head. I remember him taking on John Ryder, and John Ryder, I don't think, got him out of there. Um, Mike Guy, 12-6 and 6 with a draw. Uh, all the best to Jesse Hart, like I say, friend of the show and one of those top Philly fighters. I mean, even right now, you think of Danny Garcia, you think of Jerron Ennis, you think of um, you think of um, Stephen Fulton. Or how can you not mention him? I mean, oh my gosh, the talent in that place is, is you know, B.Y. Jennings. It's just, the list goes on. I'm sure I'm missing a few, but we shall move on. Um... Moving now to the Sports Society in Dubai. This one, um, nothing really on the undercard, just the main event to mention over here. We've got Martin Bacoli, 16-1 and 1 in a 10-rounder against a guy called Haruna Osumanu, who I'd never heard of until this fight has been made. Um, his record is eleven and two. It's another easy fight, it would appear, for Martin Bakoli. Um, I'm just going to quickly look at that record there. Eleven and two. Both fights he's been knocked out um, in, and they are both of his last fights. He got knocked out against Ebenezer Tete. I remember him getting bounced off the canvas by Daniel Dubois in one round. Oh boy, oh boy. He's forty-one years of age from Ghana coming off two knockout losses in a row. That is terrible. I'm looking at his wins. He hasn't beaten a guy with a winning record. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Terrible. Um, anyway, moving out now to the Mecca in Regent Circus, Swindon, Wiltshire, United Kingdom. We don't usually mention these um, small hall cards, but if you've been on the podcast before then I will always mention your fights and I'm talking about here Luke the Duke Watkins he returns to the ring haven't really heard much since he lost to Isaac Chamberlain and again Chamberlain hasn't pushed on I, I spoke about that earlier on in the show Luke Watkins um, 14 and 2 in a six-rounder against Tyrone Williams who's 1 and 2 and on that undercard as well buried quite deep son of Lee Haskins Anton Haskins, 2-0 as a pro in a four-rounder. No opponent just yet for him. And that brings the preview part to an end. Um, So like I say, we did the review part in part one. We brought you our special guest. Part two, there's been no news so far. And we've just wrapped up the preview part of the show. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 309 of the BoxHard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show... A huge thank you to our special guest, one of my favorite boxers in the world, Mr. John Ryder. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. There has been a few pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Emmanuel Navarrete's next fight's been announced. That's going to be taking place on October 15th in San Diego against former Shakur Stevenson opponent Joette Gonzalez. Uh, Frank Warren has announced a card for October 9th in Birmingham. I'm not sure if Callum Johnson is fighting the same guy he was supposed to be fighting, but he's on the card. You've got Liam Davies on the card as well. You've got Nick Ball on the card. You've got Echo Esserman against Danny Ball for the Commonwealth and British welterweight titles. Somebody's oh must go. That's a great fight there. And you've got Brad Foster, 14-0 with two draws in a step-up against Jason Cunningham, who I believe is coming off that excellent win against Gamal Yafai. That one's for the British, Commonwealth and European, um, EBU European super bantamweight titles. So a brilliant fight there in Birmingham. In other news, Mikey Garcia makes his long-awaited ring return against Spain's Sandor Martin. That one's set to take place October 16th in Fresno, California. Dillian White's opponent for October 30th has finally been announced. It's going to be against Otto Wallin. That should be a decent fight, to be honest. Some people not too pleased with it. I don't know. Who else could he have fought. Who else would you liked him to have fought? They were speaking about, you know, some American guys like Trevor Bryan and I think someone else. You know, with a a padded record from America. I'd rather see this fight, to be honest. Uh, We shall see. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, Joseph Parker is having a rematch with Derek Chisora. That one's going to be taking place on December 18th. The only bad thing is it's going to clash with the undisputed fight between Josh Taylor and Jack Catterall. So that's a bit annoying. But um, I'm very... Surprised, to be honest, to see Joseph Parker taking that rematch. I don't think it's a fight he needed to have. And the rescheduled date for Brandon Figueroa against Stephen Fulton is now going to be November 27th in Las Vegas. So that's an excellent place to host, an excellent fight. All the best to Figueroa, who, of course, is recovering from COVID, a good friend of the show. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.